You are listening to the National University Podcast. Hello, I'm Kimberly King. Welcome to the National University Podcast, where we offer a holistic approach to student support, well-being, and success, the whole human education. We put passion into practice by offering accessible, achievable, higher education to lifelong learners. Today we are talking about mastery learning in the classroom from a retired military expert. And this is very interesting information and really relevant in today's culture. So we talk about targeted feedback, meeting them where they're at, formative assessments, and metrics. What gets measured gets done. I love that advice. Some best practices and your real world application, tailoring it to you. And one of my favorite quotes from this interview was, a vision without resources is just an hallucination. So stay tuned. We've got a lot of great information coming your way. On today's episode, we're talking about using mastery learning in the classroom. And joining us is Dr. Dwayne Wood. Dr. Wood is a passionate educator and instructional designer with a rich background in military service and a profound commitment to empowering learners. Originally from the Finger Lakes region in upstate New York, he has carved a path in the realms of education, leadership, and instructional design. Dr. Wood served in the Army at 17 years old and undertook numerous international missions in South Africa, Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. His roles included combat engineer, human resources expert, special operations support, senior enlisted advisor, and military science instructor. Following his military career, Dr. Wood worked as an instructor and instructional designer and obtained a master's degree and eventually a doctorate in education, specializing in leadership and management from Capella University. He is guided by a profound instructional philosophy, believing in the untapped potential within every learner. And he advocates for tailored approaches catering to the unique needs, interests, and abilities of each learner. And we welcome him to the podcast. Dr. Wood, thanks for joining us. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Thank you, by the way, for your service. I'm looking forward to this. Why don't you fill our audience in a little bit on your mission and your work before we get to today's show topic? Yeah. uh, So, you know, I I really didn't start out with like a a goal in mind that I was going to be an educator uh, in in the Army. I I joined the Army young and I, I stayed in the Army. And I found that really what I was doing as a senior non-commissioned officer was, was as an educator. And I just loved doing it. It was so fantastic that I, so I started pursuing, all right, what does this mean outside of the military? Uh, and, and I started discovering um, the different realms and, and aspects of education, you know, K through 12 environments, higher ed, you know, learning and development in the corporate world, you know, in adult education. I really, really focused on the adult education because that's where my experience was from. Uh, so I pursued my academic credentials. And then, you know, after retiring, I had some great opportunities to be uh, not only an instructor, but to be an instructional designer and curriculum developer, which to me, I, 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 to the experiences I've had, you know, I'm, almost, I'm a firm believer that, you know, to be a good instructional designer, you need to be a good instructor. Uh, because we can talk all about the theories mm-hmm. and how to put it into practice, but there's a lot of nuances uh, that you don't really understand as an instructional designer until you've been in the classroom or been on, you know, doing something virtually or asynchronously and putting that together and seeing how uh, students interact, right? Just there's a lot of nuances that instructional designer, if you're just that, you kind of miss out on that, which is critically important to the learning experience. Uh, so I, 
all of those experiences gotten together has kind of led up to um, this this career path. And I've had a kind of unique career path, and I've kind of jumped in between being instructors, uh, being a facilitators, instructional design, curriculum developer, uh, in a bunch of different career fields. Uh, I did start out uh, K through 12. I taught some high school for a little bit. Um, and I taught government, uh, which was kind of unique. It was fun. Um, and then I got into the mm-hmm. higher education space. And then uh, I was a defense contractor doing curriculum development, which was uh, always interesting because the military likes to do death by PowerPoint and that doesn't work. Um, so, but, you know, as, as we go through, the, you know, I was able to make influence some of that, right. And make some changes to improve the learning experience for those students. Uh, and, and some of those institutions that I work for are still using some of the stuff that we, that we put together because it works. Um, and if I had to put it all in like, kind of like one kind of statement, the focus is the student, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the goal is the student learning. What do we need to do so that that student can be successful? And, and if I can, when we, and we're going to talk about master of learning in the classroom, and I think this is very connected is authentic learning, right? If I'm teaching you something or we're going through something and you don't really understand how you're going to apply that in the real world, to me, we just wasted your time, right? Um, that's what education is about is, is preparing and educating for real world application. So I think anytime we do that type of stuff, but we need that needs to be that needs to be evident and needs to be explicit, right? Um, so the student understands that yes, look, this is this is important, and I'm going to be able to use this. Not only does it help with motivation, but it's going to help with um, self-efficacy, right, and confidence for the student. That was a little long-winded. So sorry. absolutely, I love. <laughs> No, but I, I love your passion and that definitely comes through. And again, really kind of bring it back to the student and um, be really kind of meeting them where they're at. So um, you're in the right position again. And um, I love that you have taken your military experience and, as, and you're applying it now. Um, so today we're talking about competency-based learning approaches and mastery learning approaches. And so Dr. Wood, what is mastery learning and how does it differ from traditional teaching methods? So, you know, when in the education field, we like we have names for a bunch of different things. And you used a couple already, like competency-based education, right? That's that's pretty big in higher education, right? There's a lot of universities now that are actually using that as a marketing, right? Um, and then we have mastery of learning, learning of mastery, right? There's all these different terms you'll see in the, in the research uh, and in literature out there uh, on this subject. But really what it comes down to, it, it's a methodology that takes time out of the equation, so we're in traditional methods, we're very used to like this industrial model, right? We, ha- we, we make the assumption that all our inputs are the same. We're going to put them through a process and we're going to produce the same output. You know, that sounds great if we're making, you know, Campbell's soup, um, but we're not, right? We're using, we're talking about, you know, uh, learners here and they're all coming inputs at a different level different pace. There's an enormous amount of variables that we can never factor, right? In this. So mastery of learning for the classroom takes the time element out. We're going we're gonna to allow a, a student to obtain mastery of that skill, knowledge, or whatever we're trying to do in the time it takes them. If it t- takes them one week, great. If it takes them three weeks, fine, right? And we're going to provide the necessary supports to encourage that that, that learning to get there. Uh, you know, I, in the army, we had a, a, a saying, you know, we trained a standard, not the time. Right. And, and when we, when yeah. I like to think about this too, is the, the idea of grades and is it really a good measure 
that learning's happening. And, and more and more, I've co- I'm coming to the conclusion that it's not. You know, and I an existing example, right? If I have a student that comes in and the first exam, they get a C. And then I got another student that gets an A on that same exam. And then as we go through the course, um, that student that got the C gets a B plus. The student that got an A gets another mm-hmm. A. What, what, which student produced more learning, right? And so that grade doesn't really, really demonstrate to me that the learning's happening. Now, when we, we talk about this mastery of learning, now, if you think about those two students, we got the C plus, we're providing the supports and what the, the time the student needs to actually master that skill uh, before they move on. Well, that mm-hmm. A student, we just bumped it up. We've, we've challenged them now, yeah. right? And we're going to move them through. So, you know, th- they're probably going to struggle a little bit. That's, that's the art here, right? All, all, the, all this educational theory and research is all backed, right? There's a lot of uh, research that kind of that backs this, but there's still an art of application and putting this in place. And it's finding how to get the right level of struggle for that student. Because if it's too easy, they're going to be bored, right? We, we see that all the time. Mm-hmm. If that's it's too hard, good. they're going to get frustrated, Right. And so that this this right. methodology is a way to accommodate those and move through. Now, this is very difficult yes. and, and in higher in, in higher education. You know, we talk about terms. Right. And that's a time based. You're going to master these skills within this specific time. Uh, you know that, mm-hmm. you know, there's a business model and an HR model there. Right. That's got to match um, this application of the methodology. I like that because you're really kind of, you're again, meeting them where they're at. If it's too difficult or too easy on either side, you, um, you're able to balance that. Um, how, how can mastery learning benefit students in the classroom? We talk about time. Um, I ask you to kind mm-hmm. of think back, right, some of your educational experiences. And it's particularly one that you struggled with. And you know that the final's coming up in one week. Right. What kind of emotions, what kind of emotional state, uh, mental state is that putting you in? Right. It's using a lot of your cognitive ability for worry and anxiety, Mm -hmm. which is working against the idea Mm -hmm. of learning. So if we can take that away, we've opened up in theory and, you know, opened up cognitive resources that can be applied towards mastery. Right. So we can we can we take that anxiety away and. Uh, I think that's really important because the anxiety works against and has a negative impact against student self-efficacy and confidence in their self-esteem. Well, if you start impacting those, it's a vicious cycle, right? You're, 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 you're going to mm-hmm. produce students. They're going to continue to struggle. Um, they're going to become frustrated. They're not going to take ownership of their learning. They're, they're, you're going to push them to the frustration level where they're going to quit and give up. And, and at that point you've lost as that's, as, as an instructor, that's, that's not what you want to happen. Um, you know, you, you want them to, yeah. to take ownership and enjoy it and do the process. And that's what this can do. Um, I'm, again, think back as, as an example, right? For me, um, I'm an okay mathematician, but that was one of the subjects that I kind of struggled with. And mm-hmm. if I would have had a couple extra time and a little extra supports, I might be a data scientist today. And I just use that as an example, right? Yeah. I, I, avoided, I avoided mathematics because the way that it was taught um, didn't endear it to me, 
And, and I, I would dare yeah. to say, if you ask like today's engineers and data scientists and mathematicians why they chose that career, they're probably going to say, you know, my middle school math teacher was fantastic or my high school math teacher, right. um, you know, was there. That's that's what got them propelled in it. And, you know, we have this idea that, you know, um, we, we're trying to get STEM right. We, we were behind other nations yeah. and stuff in STEM. Well, it's because of the way I, and yeah. this is just my opinion. We're, it's the way we're teaching it. You know, um, we're forcing it. Uh, And when we force it, students aren't going to take ownership. You're going to lose them. Right. And I was going to just agree with you. It was geometry for me. It was either algebra or geometry. I had a better algebra teacher and geometry right out the window. I (laughs) probably failed it as a matter of fact. So I don't want to look back. Um, So what strategies or techniques can teachers employ to implement mastery learning effectively? Because I love where you're going with this. Yeah. So, you know, um, I kind of attack this in a couple different ways uh, from an instructional design, uh, but also in uh, a lot of times teachers will find themselves constrained still by time. You can still apply mm-hmm. learning for mastery uh, with, within time constraints. And, uh, and, you know, of course, in the perfect world, you know, administration, everything lines up and you can go full you know, full methodology of using master for learning. But for on the instructional design side, one of the things you can build in, and, and we talked a little bit about the grades, right? And how that measures. Well, one of the things we can do is use more formative assessments, right? So mm-hmm. we have some kind of task that a student will complete that they'll get very robust feedback, but it's low stakes. There's either no points assigned or very low points. So we can remove some of that anxiety we talked about, right? Some of those other things, and we can use it as a building point, right? It's that formative assessment is going to give the instructor facilitator so much information. It's going to say where the student's Mm -hmm. at, what kind of supports they need, what's the gap between where they're at and where we need to get them, right? And it starts to plan that type of stuff that you can put together for that individual student to get to where we're trying to get them to. So to me, formative assessments are really powerful and they don't have to be like a traditional exam. Uh, if, if we write discussion questions correctly, a discussion question can be a formative assessment, right? It can give us ideas as an instructor where the student's at. And we can start developing implementation or intervention based upon some of those responses. That's just a normal thing in higher education and in asynchronous environments. Um, I'm not a huge fan of them for a bunch of different reasons, but um, if we use them correctly, um, it can it can be a measure, uh, something we can use, right? The the data that we can make decisions on for the student to improve their learning and get them to the levels we need to as we go through that. And the the other, and I kind of mentioned this already, is really targeted feedback. How many times have you taken mm. a course and you get like some general feedback that's like copied and pasted and, you know, you know, that instructors probably use that comment for every other student that does us no good. Right, it right. does us no good for everybody. Yeah. Instructor doesn't do, you know, they're not learning. Uh, you know, I, I like to tell my students, like I learn more than you do during this course. Right. Um, because I'm continuing <laughs> adapting and learning from them on methodologies that I can apply based upon different content. That's besides the point. But yes, very targeted feedback. And think of it just beyond just providing like information for mastery, but think about it in the social mm-hmm. aspect of it. If I give you very targeted feedback that's personalized to you, we're building a social connection also uh, between, and, and mm-hmm. that's, that's really important in our online, virtual, asynchronous, 
type education because we kind of lose that social aspect. And it's it can be it can be difficult with the tools we have. Um, I like to offer all the time asynchronous sessions during my courses to allow students to come together, me that be there and have like a you know real time discussion. Um, we tend to get, I think we tend to get more out of that, and I think students feel more engaged. Uh, when that can happen. That can be difficult with adult learners, non-traditional learners, right? Schedules, uh, you know, plus, you know, I've, I've had courses, I got, I got a student in almost every time zone, right? You know, so, you know, that, that there's some logistics there, but yeah, um, that, so targeted feedback, formative assessments, um, and really the overall biggest one is just to be flexible. And this mm-hmm. kind of applies to what I was saying that you can do some of this mastery learning, even with a time fixed course. And it's mm-hmm. to my philosophy of being learning focused, not grade focused. And what I mean by mm-hmm. that is what I tend to have seen over time and even in my own experience, what happens to the students learning once they get their grade? It stops, right? I got my grade. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Um, I like to do, uh, especially in project-based learning, which National University does really well in a lot mm-hmm. of courses um, where it builds on, right? And the, mm-hmm. and the points are a little lower, but you're continuing to build and you have to use the feedback that you receive to improve the product and continue to this iterative process, right? Learning is really happening there as you go through the process. What about in- instructors or facilitators allow resubmissions? Let's say a student submits mm. a paper. Let's just go paper because that's kind of the traditional, right? And I give them a whole bunch of feedback. Why does the learning have to stop, right? What if I allow the student to use that feedback, rewrite the paper, resubmit it? Learning happened. Mm. Learning focused, not grade focused. There you go. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And again, that Great. can still happen. That can still happen within the term. Right. Um, as long as you don't have a course that's right. so dense with assignments, I've seen some, you know, they got two or three assignments every, every week. Right. That, that's, that's, that can be tough to do there, but we can think about those things when it comes to that. Right. Again, meeting the student, that's a way to right. tailor that mastery, that skill to that student. And I didn't even go outside of the parameters of the course that's as designed. It's just me doing a little more, right, as the instructor facilitator. And that applied, uh, and I was going to say, and your that applied knowledge is again where that learning happens. Also, when they uh, when you integrate a project or when you're you're hands on, so I love all of those suggestions. Um, rather than just reading a book or reading your computer and then writing and then moving on to the next, so good, I love that. What are the uh, challenges or potential drawbacks to implementing mastery learning in the classroom? Uh, you know, the, the, the one that I hear all the time and is, is class size. You know, if, if, I'm a, mm. if I'm a K through 12 teacher and I got 35 students in my class, this can be a challenge, right? Trying to differentiate mm. uh, for each of the students, allow them their pacing, right, that they need to master that. You know, unless I got, you know, three or four teaching assistants, right, this, that could be really difficult. Um, it can still be done. And I, and I would like to say is do what you can within the means you have, right? You know, if we have some resources, maybe we can do it in a few, uh, you know, this upcoming project, 
that's coming up that we're going to do, I think we could do competency-based here, right? Where we can do some mastery of learning in this one. Maybe the rest of the curriculum we're still doing in the traditional way, but we've, we've, we've implemented this because we have the time and resources to use it there. So I, I, you got to be strategic, I think, uh, in an environment where you're trying to use this methodology, but it's not like fully accepted or, you know, everybody fully understands it or whatever, but you can, you can try to use it. Um, the other, other challenge to this is especially in adult education, I see this, is students are trained on the traditional learning model. So anything that's outside of that is scary, right? Um, Even instructors. If I'm an instructor that grew up as a lecturer, it's very difficult to me to lose control. And I'm going to say perceived loss of control, handing it over to the student. You know, it's that switch from instructor-centered to student-centered approach. And if I'm used to very control, it's hard for me to let that control to the student, though I know it's better for them to do it. It can still be difficult to do. And that's the same thing on both sides, right? The student and the instructor. I would also say, and this is getting into the leadership and management aspect of it, is our metrics, Mm-hmm. We are, you know, um, I forget which uh, management guru set, gurus said it, but, he, you know, um, what gets measured gets done, right? And mm-hmm. that influences behavior. So if we're measuring grades and grades only, mastery of learning mm-hmm. can be hard to, to implement because the metrics aren't going to be as consistent as they would be in the traditional method. Right. Um, you, I, I, I'm a firm believer that if you implement it and you implement it correctly, you will see long term gains. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but in the short term metrics gathering, you're working against the grain on, on traditional me- uh, metrics. And I think that can be a challenge for uh, anybody, K through 12, a higher education. Right. If some if administration is gathering certain data and that's going to influence administrative decisions. Right. You know, it's. It, it can be difficult to try to implement that yeah. uh, with, with those metrics. You know, and that just reminds me, I come from a broadcast background. And so we have a thing called the Nielsen ratings, and that was really measuring TV, radio, um, but the very traditional hits. Um, and now we've moved on into streaming and internet and everything. So it, it, that kind of reminds me of the same thing. It's the way you measure it. And it's not always the case as we move into 2023 and beyond. Um, I think that's kind of what you're saying. At least that's how I heard it anyway. <laughs> so nope. uh, just different that, that, measuring that, techniques. Yeah, that's absolutely it. It's, you know, we have to be very aware of the second and third order effects of our metrics. Yeah. So this might have kind of led into this next question about how technology can be integrated into mastery learning practices. Yeah. Th- uh, Technology, again, uh, technology, we got all kinds of stuff available. Sometimes this is constrained by resources, right? You know, just having money. However, technology can be one of these things that can help us overcome those challenges we kind of talked about, Uh, especially the larger classroom. Uh, You know, we we have uh, a bunch of different uh, programs, uh, you know, artificial intelligence out there that can actually tailor learning to an individual that as a teacher in the classroom, I got a better, I'm getting metrics, right. On how students are doing, how they're progressing. Um, and I can manage that for much larger classrooms easier by using that technology, you know, without it, it'd probably be pretty difficult to mm-hmm. do, but with it, 
Um, and a lot of these new technologies that are out there, especially in the K through 12 environment, are built on the idea of personalized instruction, right? Students are getting benchmarked. Um, the computer's assessing where they're at. It's giving them practice and, and they're working on through that as they advance. And there's no time limit, right? Again, they're advancing. That's, that's, that's technology helping with this mastery of learning or competency-based education. The only caveat that I have for this is that in any technology, one that's going to be used for mastery of learning or any other part of the learning experience is that technology has to be fully integrated into the curriculum. If it's just added to mm. be added, it's, you're not, you're going to see a neutral at best effect on learning. And sometimes it can have, you know, students get frustrated with the technology because they don't really know how to use it or it's not, you know, or they're using it only once in a while. Right. You know, uh, so they have to relearn right. it every time they use it, you know, so it's got to be fully integrated mm -hmm. and, and research supports this. Right. Um, I, I, as an example, I had a student, a K through 12 student tell me this story. Um, they, the, the, the district had some money left over, unheard of. Right. Um, and they're going to buy this technology. Yeah. They're going to buy this technology that was going to improve student learning. Right. And it's all this great stuff. It, what they did is they bought smart boards for every single classroom. There was no wow. thought in how it was going to be integrated into the curriculum, mm -hmm. how teachers were going to use it. Maybe we should train right individuals. Um, she told me that in her yeah. district, the students or the, the smart boards just aren't used. Mm -hmm. So much for improving learning. They're just sitting there. Yep. Right. You know, and so right. It, there's got to be a, a thought process. You know, uh, you know, based mm -hmm. upon educational theory, best practices, the context, right? Your mm -hmm. target audience, all these factors got to be put into place and it's got to be thought through. And I, I like to say, uh, how, you know, what makes the difference between a novice instructional designer and a novice inst or instructor and an expert? And the reason that what it is, is an expert will tell you how that's going to impact student learning. Mm -hmm. The novice just follows a process or fads or however you want to call it. But that expert will say, this is what it's going to do. And by the way, here's the metrics I'm going to look at to ensure that it works. Right. So that I can say that this worked or not. You know, so that's that's a big difference between when we, when we at least when I try to think of it. And I think tech, especially technology, uh, you know artificial intelligence. You know, we have free tools now, artificial intelligence that can be used almost as a personal tutor that could be used to help with mastery of learning, right? To help students uh, gain that mastery uh, that you're looking for um, at their own pace. Wow. Wow. Such a different world and it just keeps getting more and more advanced. Um, what, what impact does mastery learning have on student motivation and engagement? Uh, so I, when I, when I, when I think about motivation in this aspect, when we talk about master learning, I like to make the distinction between intrinsic and extrinsic, right? You know, the, you know, and if you think about, again, think about your, when you went through K through 12 and your education there, you know, what was the motivation there? I dare to say that it was all extrinsic, uh, extrinsic, right? Uh, external. It's the grade. How are the parents going to view my report card, right? Does it have enough A's and B's right. on it? You know, uh, what's the district measuring, right? Because the teachers are being evaluated on that, right? That, that's, that's very carrot and stick right. or, you know, type. And that tends to not have, produce motivation over the long term, right? It also, I think, um, impedes students from taking 
ownership of their learning. And I think that's really critical, especially today, because it's not so much knowledge that I need to impart to a student. It's critical thinking skills and information uh, yeah. you know, skills that they can filter through and sift through all this information we have at our fingertips uh, that, uh, right. you know, it's a different skill set than, you know, it, if we think back, uh, uh, you know, when we had to write a paper, we actually go, had to go to a physical library, right? Pull the card catalog. And so right. it wasn't difficult to right. sift through information because you only had credible sources pretty much. Completely different nowadays, right? Right. right. I have almost infinite oh, information at my fingertips. Uh, so right. this skill set. So, so, we, and, yeah. so we, when we, no, when we want to encourage, definitely. yeah, what we want right. to encourage is the intrinsic motivation for learning. If I can teach a student to learn to learn, I don't need to give them any mm-hmm. knowledge. I just need to point them in the right direction, right? My, my role changes. I stop being a teacher and I start to become a coach and mentor, right? And, and, and mm-hmm. you know, that role I think is important here because if I encourage as you go through this process of mastery of learning and it takes you a little extra time and that's fine, right? You're getting encouragement. You're getting the tools you need to master it and you master it on your own self-efficacy, self-confidence, mm-hmm. self-esteem, all that's going to uh, improve. But what also we developed is we developed learning skills. You've started to decide mm-hmm. and started to figure out how you best learn. It wasn't forced on you. Mm-hmm. You, you are developing this as you're going through the learning process. And that is a more mm-hmm. critical skill, I believe, than that you know number theory. Because if I can give you that skill, you will learn number, number theory with the tools you have at hand nowadays. Right? I'll go watch YouTube. That's a good or point. Or I'll find something to read. or I, 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 I can but, find it. And I, and, and I can also evaluate if it's coming from a credible source, something I can believe. Because I'm going to apply my critical thinking mm-hmm. skills and ask a whole bunch of questions, right? Um, right, and, right. And the part of this is the inquiry based of this. Also, as students are going, they're you're going to teach them that they need to ask questions. What do I need to know, right, to do this? And this is opposite, I think, in our traditional methods because we're taught how to answer questions. We're not really taught how to mm-hmm. ask questions. And you know, to be completely honest, you, yeah. uh, I don't think I really learned to really figure out and ask questions in the academic sense until I got to my PhD. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, oh, wow. that's when it really turned to inquiry, right? And the other time, it was a lot of like, all right, I'm doing research, but I'm just reading what other people are saying, right? And I'm kind of evaluating a little bit, and putting it together, but that's more synthesis than creation. Um, you know, so. I think that's important. I think we got to get to those higher order thinking skills earlier and mastery of learning in the classroom is a way to do that because these other skills, kind of these skills we talked about are very intangible. They're hard to measure. Mm-hmm. So they defy metrics. And, but if we can't measure it, right, then how is how are we, right? So it, it, it's kind of this catch 22, but really those are the skills we need to be developing and we can do them both at the same time especially with this methodology of mastery of learning. Absolutely. But that critical part, and then just really, you know, teaching Amanda fish, right. It comes straight from the, the big, the big word and, uh, and giving them the resources, these, these students today, kind of pointing them in the right direction. So thank you. That's great. Can mastery learning be implemented across different grade levels and subject areas? Absolutely. It's not, it's not content 
dependent. It's not um, subject dependent. It's based on the individual. So we're building to that. It's almost like going back to the one, home, one, one room schoolhouse, right? Um, you know, we got all the different grades yeah. in there, but everybody's progressing at different levels. You know, as, as we go through the process, mm-hmm. that's, that's what it is. Again, taking the time out of it, allowing for students to pace themselves. It's a completely flexible approach uh, when, when you look at it. Now, the only thing I would say here that you got to be careful of is you know, just like in language, right? I can have one statement and I can say it one way and it means something completely different than if I say it another way. Same thing with any of these methodologies, right. approaches we talk about. It's how it's applied. Mm-hmm can matter on its impact. You know, if, if it's not really like, if the, if the teacher, I find this all the time, if the teacher is not really comfortable with the method, it's probably not best to use it because mm-hmm. it's not going to go off very well and it's actually going to produce negative impacts instead of the positive impacts. This is where we have to do professional development. We have to make teachers, mm-hmm. facilitators, instructors be comfortable with these methodologies because these methodologies are going to produce the skills that we're looking for. Right, right. Wow. This is such great information. And right now we just need to take a quick break, but uh, more in just a moment. Don't go away. We will be right back. And now a national university tip on getting started. For me personally, I knew I wanted to pursue an education due to what I wanted to do in in life. But if I had to look back at somebody in my same position, I would tell them, for one, get rid of every reason why you can't go to school. Just deciding and then committing to it, the first place to start is, what do you enjoy? What do you care about? And if there's a degree that you you can translate that into, then let's go after that. If you're unsure, talk to somebody who's currently in school. If you're serving with somebody who's going to school, talk to them about it and what their experience is like. The thing is, I truly believe as far as the general education, it's a perfect time to develop an understanding of what you want to do. It helps you figure out what you want to do. There's always going to be room to adjust, to make changes. And so looking at anybody who was sitting in my position and they're thinking about going to school, I would tell them to go down to that college office. They can guide you and and help you figure out what it is or ways that you can make it happen. And now back to our interview with Dr. Dwayne Wood, and we're discussing mastery learning. It's so interesting. And so, Dr. Wood, is there any research or evidence to support the effectiveness of mastery learning? So there, there are numerous studies out there across a bunch of different metrics uh, that show that mastery of learning can have a bunch of positive effects. You know, some of this is we talk about improved achievement, which is kind of what we're the, the main kind of thing we talk about here, right? We're, we're getting students to actually master a skill instead of getting, you know, moderately okay with it to pass an exam. They're actually mastering this skill before they move on, despite the time. But there's also this, this um, idea that this can help close some of these achievement gaps, Right. So, you know, we have students that go through our education system. And they kind of get left behind a little bit. Right. So when they when they when they do graduate or when they move mm-hmm. on, they're not this. They don't have the same skill set as someone else. Right. That is, you know, might have a little more uh, processes they went through that. So um, there's also some research out there that indicates that using this methodology improves retention of the material. Mm-hmm. And I like to equate this to because of the 
positive, positive, more positive emotional state that this uh, mastery of learning produces, right? I'm trying to eliminate, I'm, I'm eliminating the time aspect. So I'm getting rid of some of that anxiety. I'm not using high stakes testing. I'm using more formative type testing with low, low stakes testing, right? The, you know, so I can figure out with students, I'm providing supports, right? As they move, move towards mastery. And I think that helps with the retention because we talked about, you know, that anxiety and all those worry and that stuff takes cognitive resources, which is limited, right? We only got so much that we can work with. Um, and when we take that away, we take it away from other processing. So I think that's maybe re- increased retention of knowledge there is. But I also think, and there's some other research out there and it, more and more research is being done as this uh, competency-based education mastery for learning is becoming more mainstream in higher education. There are a few universities that have full competency-based programs. There are even a couple universities, that's all they do, right? Because it's becoming such a popular method uh, for instruction in this, in this realm. So more and more research is being generated now because we have more things we can study, right? As we go through this process, but there's a, so many variables there. That I think this has an impact and, and some of them we've talked about, right? Self-efficacy, uh, self, you know, self-confidence, self-esteem, uh, learning just, just in the intrinsic value of learning, our students coming away with like not being afraid of it anymore, right? It's not a chore. It's something I like to do, you know, um, as we go through the process. So I think there's some things there, again, very intangible, very hard to measure outside of very qualitative, type study. And, you know, we we really need a longitudinal study. You know, if we try to take some really short snaps up some time, you know, we might not be getting the full picture right as we go through it. So, you know, um, if I, when we, when you look at these, that's what I would look for is like a a study that has a much uh, study base and longitudinal over time, right? We can see, especially when we talk about learning to learn, right? Are we giving this, our students, the skills they need to succeed in the real world? right? In this information world, right? As as we move forward, that's what I think is in there. But yeah, all kinds of research and it's getting more and more every day. Uh, I could probably do a a search right now and there's probably like 10 more on competency education in the last hour. Um, Wow. Um, Yeah, this is great. How can parents or guardians be involved in supporting mastery learning at home? You know, uh, I've asked this question to some other, some other folks when we talked about this and I get a bunch of different responses. Um, it's the same. It's not any different, right? What does a parent need to do to help a student succeed? Well, they need to give them an environment that's okay for learning, right? Uh, and be encouraging, right? Be just providing that environment, no matter what methodology is being applied. And I, what's, What's different about the mastery of learning is, and this might be a concern of a parent, is maybe they're talking to other parents are like, well, my, my child's not advancing as fast as X, Y, Z, right? So-and-so students. That, that might be a concern there. But as long as it's explained up front, parents are involved in the process as a stakeholder um, as you go through the process of implementing this stuff, that's all going to work out. And it's going to be, and I, I think parents will see that their, their child uh, is much more excited about learning. Right. Because, you know, they're, they're yeah. getting the supports they need. They're getting the time they need to actually understand it. Right. And, and to use it. And again, right. I, I don't think it's too young to make real world application of this explicit. Uh, you know, mm. As an example, what if we taught fractions to a child that enjoyed baking? Mm. Here's your measuring oh, cups. Great. 
make it well, a so, make it a real experience. Yes. So instead of them doing mm -hmm. a fractions test of just the paper base, well, give them their measuring cups. Have them measure out mm -hmm. uh, one fourth plus one fourth. Right. I, you know, just to help again, real world application. Mm -hmm. That's going to mean more, and it's going to increase yeah. retention, and it's going to help achieve mastery. Uh, it's going to help the student understand. You're yeah. you're you're tailoring it, personalizing it to them, and and, and their um, what they like. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's good. And I think, again, that hands-on and when we can all, you know, work together, kind of get it our hands dirty or put it in the, the dough and measure it out. So that's great. Uh, are there any misconceptions or myths surrounding mastery learning that you'd like to address? There are a lot. Um, the biggest one, the one I hear what? all the time, is that it slows everything down. We we can't we can't use mastery of learning within our 180 day school year and meet all the state standards. Uh, that's a myth. Mm -hmm. You can. Uh, it takes work. Now here's you know we could we could talk about things outside of uh, instruction and teaching and learning that have an impact on that, and that's our administration, the norms, uh, you know uh, that are in our culture of our school environment that can get in the way of this as we, as we move through this, uh, if we're going to use this process or this new methodology, because people aren't fully bought in or they don't completely understand and it kind of bogs it down. It's not aligned with the culture. You know, all those things can impact this effectiveness of employing these, these, these types of methodologies. Um, you know, but yeah, it's, it, it's a complete myth. It, it, the, uh, another thing that can impact this is, you know, a lot of our teachers are not paid very well. You know, yeah, uh, in many, in many states, we, we require our teachers to have a master's degree uh, in education or their mm -hmm. in their subject area. And then we pay them peanuts and then we ask them to do so much. Right. Yeah. And this methodology yeah. requires more. It does. It just requires more yeah. than is uh, seen to make it work uh, from a team, not just individuals. If you have just one teacher in your district mm -hmm. trying to do this, it's not going to work. Uh, you might have some small successes, yeah. but it needs to be a full team effort because you need everybody to be involved, all your stakeholders. And sometimes the students are left yeah. out as a stakeholder. They need to be involved also. They need to understand th what this methodology, how it works, Right. What's the benefits for them? Mm -hmm. What's what do they need to be doing? Yeah. Make them part of the process. Right. Um, if they're mm -hmm. involved, I like to have students work with their own data. Hey, here's all your data from your mm -hmm. last assignments. What do you think that means? Right. Have them involved in their own data. It's, it's just going to help them again. Learning to learn. Right. Oh, you know, what? I trying yeah. to sleep with the book under my pillow doesn't work. Right? I just learned that. Now I can try a different methodology. Yeah. Maybe I actually need to maybe do some flashcards yeah. or do some, you know, that type of, so that's, that's what I mean by learning to learn, right? They learn how they best are able to comprehend and apply what you're asking mm -hmm. them to do. And they got to be part of the process. They can't be left in the dark. And again, I don't think there's any ages too young to not tell them, Hey, this is why we're doing this. Right. Uh, especially right. adult learners. Adult learners want to know, you know why. Or yeah, like a four-year-old. Why? Why? Right. Yeah. That's um, my brother-in-law. And I was going to tell you this is a 
is a retired major in the Marine Corps. So, you know, a similar military experience, but now he's in a third year of um, medical school and the learning, he's 43 years old. I really have no idea how he's doing it. It's incredible to me. Uh, after everything, he's served three tours. And so, but he talks a lot about his professors and I so wish that you were connected with him because he's trying to implement what he learned from the military experience and make it practical as well. And it's not going so yep. well, but uh, anyway, you would be a really good resource for him. So I may connect you later. <laughs> but, um, can you share a success story or an example of mastery learning implementation in a classroom? So, and I'm going to use, this as a personal story. I was, I was um, teaching a basic research course. Um, so in, in this course, uh, students have to uh, pick a topic and they have to take a position, do the research and write a paper, right? And it's following basic academic mm -hmm. uh, protocols. They got to have an annotated bibliography, right? All these steps and processes to go from it. Um, and the course was... Um, uh, it was a 499 level, which we're almost at a master's level, right? And and the the student was only two years into their their studies, uh, and this was common in this in this program, you know. And, and I found they struggled, struggled, and got so so frustrated many many times that. And what tipped me off because they didn't come to me. What tipped me off is I would start looking at assignments when they were submitted on time. And I, and I could look at that, compare it to what the discussion was. I'm like, this is well below the student's ability. And that game was like, you know what? I need to reach mm -hmm. out and see what's going on here because they can do so much more. And I, I, based upon the rubric, I'm stuck. I have to give the student the grade that's earned based upon the rubric. I can't, you know, go outside. So I contacted them and we had this talk about learning focus versus grade focused. And I allowed resubmissions. After so the within two weeks the student had made such a drastic difference, that just because they needed the additional time, that was all. And mm -hmm. the final the final was one of the best ones I ever got uh, for for that. Wow. And what I mean by that it, it it was it was not quite to length that was required by the the requirement, but it displayed critical thinking better than all the other papers. Yeah. And really, that's what we're trying yeah. to achieve. You know, really, if if you get if you're just mm -hmm. spitting facts at me, I can get that from a bunch of different sources. Tell me why. Right. Why do you believe that? I used to tell mm -hmm. uh, you know one of the things we do in the military, and this may be applied to your your um, when we do operational planning, we ask why five times, mm -hmm. right? Because <laughs> that will get yeah. you to the level of thinking you need to pull off a yeah. complex military operation. Right. Um, it gets a little frustrating when you first go into it because you'll be, you'll be like, well, no, this is why we're going to do this. Well, why? Right. And it'll get down to some very basic mm -hmm. assumptions that you didn't even know you made. Right. Um, so that's what I mean. That's so true. And that's what I did with this. Yeah. I did with this student. Hey, let's ask why. And, mm -hmm. you know, for this purpose, mm -hmm. I only had him ask why three times. But, you know, it, it, <laughs> and it opened up. It was almost like you, you we say the light bulb goes off. Right. The light bulb went off like, oh, my goodness. I just have to write what I think and believe and then justify it. Yes, that's it. That's critical thinking, right? Um, yeah. And uh, because the, the standard is almost, well, this expert said it, so I'm just going to regurgitate that. I'm going to paraphrase it, put that on. That's my evidence. Well, what's your reasoning? How do you know that that 
that statement is correct or true. And this, these are some of the things that I think are these intangible skills that, again, if we apply mastery of learning and we apply the methodology correctly, we can help build these school, these skills that we're looking for. Um, and again, they're hard to measure, you know, and, and, and it's not quick. It's not going to happen maybe in that single term. Right. Uh, but it'll, it'll start to, uh, build on itself as they go through their academic career, or they go through more academic uh, aspects or just life. Right. Um, you know, if I knew yeah. how to learn when I was younger, I, you know, I, I don't know where I would be. Right. You know, I, um, you know, I had, um, I had, um, I was working on an instructional design project and a subject matter expert wasn't assigned to me yet. And I just put the course together. Right. And, when the subject matter expert was assigned to me, they looked at it and like, this is, this is really good. Like you didn't really need me. I was like, because it's just knowledge based. I have all the tools and I know how I learn. So I just learned it while I was building it. It's one of the best things about being an instructional designer, mm-hmm. by the way, um, because you get to get into so many different subjects. Um, I, I used to work for um, uh, uh, Defense, Department of Defense Nuclear Weapons School. I know a lot about nuclear physics now. Right. That I never knew before. And, you know, because, again, I got all these different opportunities. That's why one of the great things about being an instructional designer, uh, if you love to learn. Right. Right. Lifelong learner. But look at what you're learning about. So that's that's really amazing. How can teachers assess mastery effectively without relying solely on tests or exams? This is a two part question. And then what professional development opportunities are available for teachers interested in implementing mastery learning? So I'll address the tests and exams. I'm not, so again, and this is a, this is a personal philosophy. And if, and if I had to like really talk about this master of learning, it's almost two-sided. Uh, it's one-sided and it's a methodology that's tested and proved and it has techniques and best practices that you can apply. But there's also the philosophy mm-hmm. side of it. And if your philosophy is not aligned with that, that's where we can have conflict and where mm-hmm. this may be this, you'll have a hard time implementing this process. On the philosophy side, again, we have to focus on the student. That's what it is, right? Completely student focused. Well, if you think about traditional exams, right, a lot of them are um, multiple choice questions, right? Um, I, I believe I could pass almost any multiple choice question without knowing any content. Um, because there's, it's, there's a, you know, methodology to it, right. As you go through, but so they don't, to me, that doesn't really assess learning either. Right. And it doesn't give you an idea truly where a student is. Now, I don't want to say not to use them. Um, I just don't use them solely. I wouldn't use them as a sole measure of, um, you know, where a student's at. They are very good for like just triggering recall, right. If you need recall within a process, but I don't like to assign any point values right? It's just a recall practice, right? To help student recall some information as they go through that. So when we talk about how do, how do we know this is mm-hmm. working, it's the application. And this really comes down to mm-hmm. uh, the teacher instructor being, uh, being observing, right? Student behavior, because uh, a lot of this is, yes, they're going to be able to complete a skill, uh, but measure that skill in its real world application versus a written piece of paper. Right. Um, I like to think of this as, uh, you know, as an example, you know, I, 
this was a long time ago, but when I was um, a, a teenager and I wanted to get my hunting license so I could go hunt deer, all mm-hmm. they had you do was go take a written exam. Did that really prepare mm-hmm. me to be safe in the woods as a 16 year old kid <laughs> hunting deer? No, but think about That's driving. So funny. Right? Yeah. In oh, driving, yeah. you take a written exam, then you get in a car with somebody. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you're so. That's what I like to think about when you're thinking about your assessment or this method that you're going to do that to, to, to measure if the students got it or not, how are you measuring it? And is it truly authentic? Try to make them as authentic as you can. And sometimes that might be that you're watching the student do something and you have an observation protocol versus the student filling out something. And I, I get this mm-hmm. from my military background because that's exactly how we do it, right? You're, you're taught how to perform a certain task and then guess what? Perform that task and yeah. here, I'm going to watch you do it, right? Um, and then right. we slowly, right. slowly improve difficulty. So instead of conducting that skill during the day, now you're going to do it at night. I just improved the difficulty, right? And I can mm-hmm. still observe. So that's, that's what I mean about trying, uh, when we talk about this master of learning, those little things you can do to help a student challenge the student, but also scaffold it so that they're um, within their ability to be successful and and get to that mastery of that skill. Oh, the second question, professional development. Um, there are places, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, that's what I was just gonna ask you is the next question about professional there development. There are all kinds of uh, organizations out there that offer um, all kinds of training on different aspects of what we've talked about today and mastery of learning, competency-based education, right? All these aspects. Um, there are a couple great LinkedIn learnings. And if you're a national university, you get that for free. You know, um, I would take advantage of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, there, you can actually connect with individuals, right? To, and part of, and join organizations that provide uh, this, this type of aspects. But then I would also say it's self-development. Start going out there and looking for things. Mm. Go, you know, um, yeah. I, I kind of get laughed at sometimes when I, I say, you know, I'm in the library every day. I'm, I'm finding what new research is out there. I'm reading it. I'm evaluating it. I'm seeing if, I'm seeing if you know what, maybe my thought process is out of date, right? You know, uh, so that's, that's what I mean. That's, to me, that's the most powerful. I, I could give you a whole list of links and stuff to go to, go to, but really, you know, Learning to learn, right? This is what we're talking about. You know, the lifelong learner skill set. Um, apply those. Use those. That's yeah. really what's going to make uh, you become more of an expert in, in this area. Uh, use those tools. Um, I like to use, um, I like to try to stump the AI tool, right? I'll ask the AI tool a question, yeah. and then I'll see if I can find the research that backs it up, right? Or did I just Ooh. prove it wrong, you know? Uh, or did I uncover a bias, <laughs> right? You know, so um, mm. that's, you know, little games like that, right? That, that's how I learn. That's, that's just my process. I, I would ask you to discover your own process and apply it. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I do a, um, my professional development each week is I take a mix of keywords, educational keywords. I throw them in the library and I do a search and I find four articles. <laughs> and that's what I do for my professional development for a week. That's, that's just my process. Um and I would ask you to develop, again, develop your own process, you know, but you can't stop. If you stop, yeah. you're going to be outdated yeah. within a year. I guarantee That's you, so the way cool. things are moving so quickly. Wow. 
That's inspiring. And so thank you, because uh, it, it does push us to continue to learn. And um, we have to do that to ourselves. Uh, how can policymakers and educational leaders support the widespread adoption of mastery learning? You know, we kind of talked about, right, some things that were outside of the instruction and teaching in the classroom that have an impact, you know, metrics, right, um, uh, leadership support. Those, these are the things where leadership can definitely be a, a role. And they can also be part of the solution, right, uh, because they're seeing the bigger picture, Right. They're seeing it outside of the classroom and seeing in the much larger picture. They also understand the resources that are available. And, you know, a saying we used to always say mm -hmm. is a vision without resources is just a hallucination. Right. So we have to operate mm -hmm. within the resources and the administrations can be that way. If, if I'm a K through 12 teacher and I want to do that, I'm going to go to my principal and be like, look, this is what I need from you if I'm going to make this work. And here's what's going to there's the mm -hmm. positive effects it's going to have. You know, and, and, and that, that leader's got to support. Otherwise, it's, it's probably not going to work. Again, we talked about it's got to be a team effort. And it's all those levels of leadership and administration and management um, that got to be aligned. And they got to they got to see that vision. Right. Everybody's got to see that same picture uh, and understand what that picture is uh, to get there. I mean, I've been in lots of organizations and you can ask anybody, hey, what's the vision of this organization? I bet you nobody knows it. You know, well, it's like, well, how do you make decisions then? in the absence of authority. If you don't understand the intent, mm -hmm. if you don't understand where we're trying to get to, how do you make a decision in the present? And that's, that's what the administration's mm -hmm. job here is, right? Is to, here's the vision. Boy. This is how we're going to get to it. Here's the resources we have available. Um, and here you go. And I'm going to support you. Uh, because again, we talked about metrics and that's kind of the biggest risk, I think. Um, how does a principal report to their superintendent that they didn't meet certain quarterly metrics, you know, uh, because they're using a, uh, a different methodology, you know, will that superintendent say you need to go back mm -hmm. and go back to traditional methods, right? Or are they going to have the patience, the trust um, to allow that process to play out? Uh, and here's another militaryism. Uh, we call it mission command. And what that is, is the ground force commander has the most information to make the best decisions. So let them. Hmm. So, you know, in a school environment, mm -hmm. a K through 12 environment, that's the principal allowing the classroom teacher to make those decisions and to support them. And that's, that's what we need to yeah. make any methodology, uh, even, you know, uh, more importantly to this mastery of learning, because it's a little bit outside of what everybody else is doing. I love that. When are you going to run for office? <laughs> we could use your vision and, and uh, everything you talked about, your mastery. This is great. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for your time. And if you want more information, you can visit National University's website. It's nu.edu. And we look forward to your next visit. Thank you so much, Dr. Wood. Thank you. You've been listening to the National University Podcast. For updates on future or past guests, visit us at nu.edu. You can also follow us on social media. Thanks for listening. <laughs>